Welcome one and all to another episode of Blokes Watch Movies. Thank you for joining us once again. Today is an episode that we've been positively anticipating because the three of us are going straight to war in another debate, very much like our Stallone debate. But this time we've decided to pick the legend that is Jean-Claude Van Damme, the muscles from Brussels. Unfortunately, Judge Ralph isn't actually here to join us today, so we're going to continue the same format, but without Judge Ralph. So it's more of a debate with courtroom references, I would say. Let me introduce my co-hosts, and they can tell us what film they've selected, uh, and then we'll get straight into the debate because I, I, I've got all my uh, my points ready to go, and I'm, I'm I'm eager to get straight into this. So, firstly. James, Jimmy, how are you today, mate? I'm uh, not too bad. Yeah, I'm enjoying. Uh, we're recording this on a bank holiday. I'm enjoying. Yeah, having the the time to sit and watch and get nostalgic with these movies. Um, I, I will say from the outset, it will give me no pleasure to prosecute either of the your two films because uh, I think, like like the both of you, I ha- have a lifelong love for and respect of Jean-Claude Van Damme but today I will be going to great lengths to explain why Double Impact is a far superior film to the uh, selections that my esteemed colleagues have made. I think Jimmy's made some valid points there I mean I'm a a lifelong fan but he used the word respect for Jean-Claude Van Damme I don't know how if I would use the word respect I may be a fan I don't know about respect there are a few things in there that that trouble me. Let's move on to David. How are you today, mate? Top of the world. Never been better. <laughs> Looking forward to this episode so much. I'm actually with Jimmy. I've got a lot of love for Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I've chosen Bloodsport. A bar kickboxer, the best film he's ever done. Put him on the uh, put him on the map. And I'm really looking forward to talking about all three films, in all honesty. I've watched all of them a hundred times. I've watched them all, you know, very recently as well for today. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, I just want, again, I want to just backtrack there. David, please ignore that listener. He said it's Bar Kickboxer. It's the best film he's ever done. He can only say it's one of the best films he's ever done. He's quietly trying to be suggestive there to influence you early on. You have to watch out for his tricks. Um, I've selected AWOL in the UK. In the US, this movie is known as Lionheart. One of the best Jean-Claude Van Damme movies ever made. And I will tell you why it's better than the two films that my co-hosts have picked. But we've decided to go in production order. So we'll go in order on how the films were made. Then after, also we've decided to incorporate a couple of points when we make our description of the movie. Jimmy, do you want to let people know what we've decided that we will cover during the course of this? Yes, so we will be gently covering some of the uh, tropes of the Van Damme movie, because if there's any B-movie actor from the 80s and 90s who knew his appeal and uh, knew what his audience wanted, it was Jean-Claude Van Damme. So these will include uh, such things as does he do the splits, which is probably the thing that he was most famous for, and how out of its way does the script go to create a situation for him to do the splits? What credible reason does the script create for why uh, he has a French accent? And is there a gratuitous, needless shot of his posterior? (laughs) <laughs> can i also can i also add the uh how he he loves to get the word asshole uh, uh, just ass into all of his films hey hey asshole <laughs> brilliant okay so, so we're gonna have production order that means david you're going first with blood sport are you ready to make your case for the film yep 100 percent off you go okay where do i start pretty much blood sport is a real true life story on the life and <laughs> sorry so it's not good no, that was your fault just so you know blood sport is a biopic We got our outtakes. outtakes. (laughs) Bloodsport's all about Frank Dukes, uh, a legendary character. Uh, The film starts off with a young Frank Dukes, uh, how he uh, meets his sensei um, and his lifelong friend, uh, young Tanaka, we'll call him. Um, He pretty much tries to steal 
this sword, or maybe not even steal. They they break into a house, and he's automatically sort of drawn to this sword. Uh, he picks it up. The it's the the sort of sword which we find out you win if you win this Kumite tournament. Uh, Tanaka, the sensei, catches them. They all run off. He stays. Uh, they sort of do a deal. I won't call the police, but you can help me train my son, who's who's grooming to be the next Kumite champion. Um, a friend, uh, you know, friendship, respect is formed, and then unfortunately, um, young Tanaka dies. Uh, Frank Dukes sort of persuades the sensei to carry on through him, where he's taught him so much already, and he's got so much to teach. Um, and he does. Um, he he then sort of joins the army. We fast forward uh, 10, 15 years. Um, and you always know when there's uh, a, fro- a, a flashback because Jean-Claude has the same haircut um, pretty much in every film uh, if there's a flashback scene. But we'll go on to that later. Um, basically, uh, Sensei Tanaka falls ill. He in effect, goes absent without leave to visit his sensei and then tries to win the secretive Kumite tournament um, in honour of his sensei. Uh, obviously, the second half of the film is predominantly all of the tournament and everything around it. Uh, obviously, as a child, it was just one of the best things I'd ever seen. And though there's it, not really much of a love story the film is predominantly just about martial arts honor respect um which i think is why uh, mark and jimmy struggle with this film um and we have a <laughs> a legendary bad guy also in bolo young who plays chung lee uh but, but, but i'll go into well, i'm sure we'll go back and forth about other parts of the film but that's just pretty much the film in a nutshell i hope i haven't uh, missed out anything too uh, important um, I'll go first in making a counter-argument against this film. And I'm going to start by saying I am a fan of it. However, for the for the nature of this task, I have to evidence why it's not as good as the film I've selected. So I'm going to start by saying what David was... When he was describing the plot, the Kumite takes place in Hong Kong. So the first start of the film is in the States, and then Van Damme, Frank Dukes, has to go to Hong Kong to... To, comp- to compete in the Kumite. And I actually think at that point, the film actually improves. It gets better from that point onwards. But David's cheated. He's decided to pick a film that um, is the only Van Damme film that I think has a, an Oscar winner, Oscar nominated actor in it. He thinks that's going to give him an edge, but it, it doesn't. He's also um, decided to... One thing that all Van Damme films have are, is great soundtracks. And this film has an amazing soundtrack. But it doesn't save you from the fact that it's not as good as the film that I picked. There are some characters in the film that I relate to both of my friends, actually. Uh, the, The relationship between the detectives, the military police that are trying to catch Van Damme, played by Forrest Whitaker, and I don't know who the other guy is, remind me of David and Jimmy, very much so. That Jimmy being the calm, calculated, respectful one. I'm sorry, Mrs. Tanaka. We sorry to disturb you. David being the brash, arrogant. Yeah, sure you know where he is. You know. Come on now, Frank, you've got to come in. Enough's enough. Or do you want ten thousand volts up your ass? You know, the 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 the, the contrast there does make me think of the pair of them together. Many yeah. many an incident. David would not Jimmy hesitate that. to pull out a taser. Yes. <laughs> I've also I've also seen the, the, the David's balancing skills, and if he had to walk across floating rafts in the rivers of Hong Kong, I am pretty sure that he'd fall in as well. <laughs> so there's lots of stuff I that I Tom with that scene as well. Every road you take, every move you make, every place you go, you've gotta know. I'll steal the night. I'll steal the night. I told you it's got a wicked soundtrack. Um, but there are things about it that are absolutely ridiculous, and I'm going to get into this right away. The film is a biography of a man called Frank Dukes. 
um, who is one of the greatest bullshitters in the world of martial arts history. Okay, so if you do your research, this this guy claims that he has won a, a Congressional Medal of Honor. It never happened. He claims that he was a covert operative for the CIA. No record of him ever being sent overseas in the military. He also says that he fought in the Kumite and he was uh, trained by Sensei Shidoshi Tanaka. Again, there's no record ever of any of this. And yet somehow he's managed someone and a production team to part with their money and convince uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme to play him in a film. I mean, it's, know, it's, it's a mockery. It's a mockery, really. It's a mockery. <laughs> you know, every bullshitter, no one listens to them. You know, they just talk shit all day. And you got that, you just go, yeah, uh-huh. You know, that you just you just sort of listen, but don't listen. He found someone, didn't he, who, <laughs> who pretty much just took everything he said as word, like um, Jay and, is it Neil from The Inbetweeners? Mm. You know, but yeah, you know, like, some of his did you notice his records at the end so at the end of the film they'll say oh look Frank Dukes is undefeated in 329 fights <laughs> lie that's the icing oh. on the cake so if you if you don't put that bit at the end it's just another film but yeah, they've put but that bit at the end it. to prove that this person's supposedly supposed to be real yeah, we believed this the way that we yeah. believed. We thought wrestling was real. At the time this film came out and we see it, we would have believed that WWF was you know, real, genuine competition. So um, whether grown-ups at the time believed it, that's... That's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of those records, I just, that Yeah, undefeated in 329, fastest knockout in three seconds, fastest punch recorded, kick recorded... But and, very interestingly, uh, the punch is recorded at 0.12 seconds and the kick is recorded at 72 miles an hour. Why yeah, are they measured? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With what technology did they do that? Because this Kumite apparently took place in 1975. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, 0.12 seconds, that's got to be like some geezer with a stopwatch. Yeah. Like, yeah, so <laughs> but then not only that, I'm pretty sure that Dana White saw Bloodsport and that's how he made the UFC what it is today. Well, in effect, it's not far off. It weren't Dana. It's not. But yeah, but it was, um, it's not too far off. Someone watched Bloodsport and thought, you know what? Let's do this for real. Real, and yeah. just get all these uh, people from around the world to have a fight. But if you think back to the early UFCs and like the state of those fighters by the end of that tournament, you wonder, did Frank Dukes really score 56 consecutive knockouts in a single tournament? <laughs> like, <laughs> did, yeah. Maybe he knocked one out 56 times. But, uh, <laughs> we were, we were, but even then, that's not the record. You've got that tune with, what, 111? 114. 114. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is insane. Uh, Jimmy, I, I mean, obviously you're going through your points about the storyline, but what about the film? What are the negative aspects of the film? Uh, okay, so the negative aspects of the film, I think uh, we can um, zero in on, you know, just yeah, lazy writing and you know some of the characterization. I mean, uh, Vic, who's the um, the IFFA liaison for the North American fighters, I forget the actor's name at the moment, but yeah, this actor has clearly learned his dialogue phonetically, and like yeah, he might not always understand everything that he's saying i mean you know from i think i saw this film for the first time when i was nine and um at least at, at least once a year as i was a teenager not all of my friends you know got it but at least once a year through my teenage years and into my early 20s you know i was ever out in a club with uh, a friend and they tried to chat up you know a young woman and they failed i would just go over to them and go you've blown it mate forget about the girl <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna use that quote as well <laughs> You got a chance to win it all, yeah. but you got to uh, keep uh, a clear uh, head. Or <laughs> when he's introducing um, Frank and Jackson to uh, the uh, Black Dragon Society or the IFAA at the at the tournament um, on the opening day, and one of the guys <laughs> administering the tournament questions whether Shidoshi Tanaka is, um, yeah, like he says he says Senzo Tanaka is his Shidoshi, and Vic goes, "What's the difference? If Bruce Springsteen is a Shidoshi." It's like, I don't. I always think this actor doesn't quite understand, you know, what no, he's I, saying. I, I totally he's just, agree. He's just learned the words. I, I, I think a prime example of that 
It's, so you're Frank Ducks. It's Dukes. Oh, like put up your Dukes, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I I also think there's um, a charge that you could level you could level that same charge at Jean Claude Van Damme. I mean, so I don't think he had been speaking English all that long at the time this film was made. So there's yeah, I think his dialogue, if you go through it, is 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 very um, simplistic. But uh, yeah, when I rewatched this film, um, yeah, sort of taking the nostalgia out of it, you kind of realise like yeah, the the the, the script is kind of la- la- lazy throughout. I mean, yeah, Vic explains the rules to frank and jackson as the tournament is beginning i mean surely frank and jackson should know, <laughs> know the rules before they turn up yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've never thought of that and yeah and there's yeah and, well, maybe I, I, frank but uh, jackson don't come across as smartest <laughs> but yeah if you pay attention like there's, there's lazy everything um, in this movie i mean in the flashback to frank when he and his friends are burgling tanaka's house if you look as Frank comes through the window, he is wearing a jersey for the New York Giants, but a baseball hat for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, yeah, two different teams, two different sports. I mean, I'm guessing that young Frank was two just really coasts. into Giants. But, <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it's just it's just lazy everything. Now it's not out of the question that yeah, because Frank they, they go on to sort of explain that Frank's parents have brought him over you know quite recently, um, but yeah, that that always just like. This is very clearly a film that was made in Hong Kong with a largely, like uh, probably a largely local crew, and they just said giants, giants. You know, we don't know any better. It works, and yeah, you know, this will detail. Uh, this will dovetail into um, yeah you know, the, the first of the the, the Van Damme tropes is you know what is the explanation for his accent, and there is a kind of throwaway line that Tanaka has in this flashbook saying you know Frank told me you come to America for business, so we know that they are from somewhere else, likely from France doesn't quite explain why frank's accent is as thick french as it is when he's a grown-up it should be a little bit more american but you know they at least you know know that frank dukes needs that kind of you know a character played by van damme needs that um explanation but you know it's i i never hold the laziness of the setup against a movie like this because like you you watch these kind of movies for the um for the action you watch it to be entertained and so like and it just you, you don't you don't need um the script to be fought through and i think that's why it works when when you're very young i think it works um you know like the first time you watch it but if you do watch it repeatedly you do realize that you know, this 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 is why this film is quote unquote a b movie as opposed to um uh an a movie i mean i had a line it had a, a note in my uh notes where it's i because i looked up uh this movie was budgeted at around 1.5 to 2 million dollars it made 50 million dollars at the at the box office and i quite unfairly said that is you know 50 million insults to 50 million intelligences i think that's yeah maybe not um uh yeah i think that's a bit harsh because I do enjoy this movie, but um, yeah, the more you watch it, the, it's it's a very easy movie to pick apart. So I also need someone to explain to me why. So in the final fight scene, I don't want to spoil the movie for anyone that hasn't seen it, but in the final fight scene, Jean-Claude Van Damme gets blinded by what can only be described as Gaviscon tablets. <laughs> and how does that come about? And has anyone ever got Gaviscon in their eye and eye lost their sight? I can't say that I have. I mean, obviously, you know, like it reminds us of you know, Mr. Fuji, you know, from uh, you know, again to reference WWF, like Mr. Fuji, the um, manager of the Orient Express tag team, would yeah. throw salt in the eyes of their opponents uh, to blind them. I think it's working on that on that on that same principle. Obviously, it's a no rules tournament, so you know, Jung Lee can get away with it, but uh, I don't know how effective it would be as a tactic. Well. Um... My grandmother suffered terribly with heartburn and indigestion, and uh, my brother several times crunched up some of her medication and threw it in my eyes when we were playing WWE. And yes, it blinds you. I can confirm. <laughs> so you didn't blink four or five times and it washed your eyes out. You stayed consistently blinded until the end of the movie, because actually at the end of the film he's not blind anymore. Just let's just get this straight. Yeah, he does regain his eyesight by the end of the round, basically. Yeah, on average, lasts between five and ten minutes. <laughs> Also, for a reporter that writes for the news shopper, suddenly he <laughs> can get into the Kumite, which is the most secret fighting competition ever. How how was that viable? 
I mean, that's another plot hole. I mean, you know, she, she beats Frank to the venue when Frank leaves the hotel far, first. Yeah. And, and she's and she's in bed, you know, naked. And you know, by the time Frank gets there, she's there in evening wear. So, yeah, um, all dressed up. Yeah. Lons, that's a little bit of a plot hole. Blondes always get what they want. That's also true. And, uh, and uh, Frank, uh, Jean-Claude knows that. And that's, uh, to me, very realistic. I've known many a blonde. And they always get what they want. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't, think you, I don't think any of you have really picked apart the film yet. You're talking about Gaviscon tablets in the eye. None of you have had it. I have. We're talking about blondes. What? There's still nothing really that you've said that's accurate. Okay, there's a couple of minor minor details going to miss, but to me... I mean, I, mean, I, I can, I can uh, state quite equivocally that one of the reasons why this film endured and one of the reasons why I took it to heart and you know kept on returning to it as i grew up was that i genuinely believe this was based on a true story and yeah. you know, the, the the fact that it isn't it really does it really does take away what was one of the central appeals of, of this movie you know i think um i think i think we can't overlook the importance of that i think well yeah i mean i know what you're saying i think there's no doubt in the film's not based on a true story but sometimes i think it's just it's been cleverly done just to to make people believe it. It's like at Star Wars at the beginning, when that text comes up. I've never seen the film, but you know, just by adding a bit of text at the beginning at the end gives the impression that it's real. Just like Line of Duty so, at the on, end of every series. You're saying because it says in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> that the person watching it thinks, "Oh, this is fucking happening." In a galaxy, point but it's just I'm far, making, far away. The point I'm making is if you add a bit of text to the beginning of an, an, of an end of a film, it lures people in. Like I say, and that's the point I'm making. No one really says it's based on a true story. Uh, oh no, maybe. Do they, do they at the beginning? They don't, do they? No, I don't think it does say at the beginning. It's only no, at the end no, where it yeah, says Frank point, yeah. still holds the records for, as in to say, this actually happened. Yeah, and the but, point I'm making is Line of Duty is complete and utter fiction. But at the end, they will say, oh, ECIC went on to have a happy retirement, blah, blah, blah. No one actually believes that he had, you know, no one believes it's real. That's the point I'm making. It's just all part of the the plot. It's all part of the getting you to believe. No? Okay. But we were no. told it was real. That was the thing. Like, That's yeah, the thing. We, when? Yeah, well... When they make at, the film, it's a biopic. They tried to sell itself as as a as as a biopic, as as a, yeah. as a real story, as based on you know possibly exaggerated, but it was supposed to be based on one man's real life exploits. And okay. listener, you know, we, um, we we may put on outtakes at the end of this episode that you know kind of showed how difficult it was for David <laughs> to get through the word um, biopic. <laughs> 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 very true Jim good point because if you recall you, you will recall like two seconds of odd silence where something has clearly been cut out and that what was was cut out is the, yeah. <laughs> with the laughter David's own inability to get through his defence of this movie <laughs> okay but, um, have you got any we, more uh, points to add David um, listen I'm honest you know I think all, all Jean-Claude Van Damme films there are holes several of them but Bloodsport is still a level above the rest. I can laugh about my own film. I can take the mick out of it. And for that, and just to prove that I'm actually going to give my first Danny Dyer award for poor acting <gasps> to uh, an actor in this film. Um, there's a few candidates. There's the Chinese is he the bookie promoter is he even a journalist he's like the the Chinese Frank Warren who hovers around <laughs> um he he has some legendary lines such as like good fighter good fighter <laughs> um but um I'm gonna give it to Pierre Raffini who plays young Frank Dukes um he has no idea how to act he has about three lines and he messes them all up. I think the first one is, I wasn't going to steal it. Um, he then has a very simple role of just st be in a room while you're Mr. Tanaka and your parents have a conversation. And his sort of eyes is just floating. 
between both of them rapidly, like they're talking when they're not. And then my favourite line, which is, uh, I didn't come here to be a punching bag. <laughs> um, you didn't, Kiera Feeney, but you didn't come here to act either. And for that reason, you are the first winner of the Danny Dyer Award of Acting. Congratulations, Pierre Ruffini. We will tweet him later. Thank you. Yeah, Thank well, you done, Jimmy. That, well done. Well done, Pierre Ruffini. So, um, it's me next, isn't it? Indeed. So, my film is AWOL, also known in the US as Lying Heart. Uh, myself and Jimmy once actually put a... Instagram post together to try and get this film remade with a bunch of people we decided would be suitable for the movie, but no, there was no takers. Um, I think the, we put down that the, the person playing the part of Joshua should have been Kevin Hart, which <laughs> would have been, been quite, quite entertaining. But but the film is very different to the two films that Jimmy and David are discussing because they're action movies. Lionheart is a social commentary. So it focuses on drug addiction, wrong, wrongful, wrongful accusations and imprisonment, military service, family affairs, homelessness, people smuggling, illegal fight rings. Oh, and um, making sure that you have a life insurance policy in place and being financially, fiscally responsible. All these points are covered in this film. That Neither of these two guys can talk about this, ever, ever. So the premise of the movie is JCVD plays a part, a, a gentleman called Leon. He is in the French Foreign Legion. His brother gets killed during a dodgy, dodgy drug deal. He's based in Los Angeles, where Jean-Claude Van Damme is based somewhere in the desert. We don't actually know where, I don't think. He gets a letter from from his brother's wife to say that his brother is in hospital because he's been set on fire during a bad drug deal. He asks for compassionate leave and, and the Foreign Legion says no. So he escapes to make his way to Los Angeles from wherever he is to go and see his brother. So that's the premise of the movie. By the time he gets to where he needs to get to, he finds out that his brother died some weeks ago and now he feels like he needs to support and comfort his his estranged family. So I'm not going to go into too much more detail about the storyline than that. Other than, other than the way that he has to make money is with his fists because he doesn't have anything else. He doesn't have a social security number, so he can't go and work at McDonald's. He's an illegal immigrant. You know, this is what he's got to do. So with his fists, he makes a way. Um, sorry, David, now you can make your point. Go on, sorry. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Just, I was just saying how... Um realistic the scene was when the brother's on death's door um, lying in a hospital bed shouting Leon's name. Do you remember that scene, Mark? Very much so. He's in extreme pain and all he wants is his brother to comfort him. He's actually a, a living skeleton. He, he's been point? set on fire, David. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this because is the thing what is... he bought was sugar and he <laughs> thought it was going to be cocaine. <laughs> the point I'm making, though, is as much as Bloodsport isn't a true story, yeah, there's a there's a there's a, a possibility there's a possibility that it could have been. Straight away within ten minutes of AWOL, it's just pure and utter dross. Hang on a minute, you haven't even let me finish making my points about the movie you're right. and you're attacking I'm, it. No, you're it's right. uncalled I for. So let's get back into the film and ignore what David <laughs> said because it's not dross. <laughs> so not not only does he escape, he he then boards a ship to get to America. When he gets to America, he tries to contact his family, he's not able to, and he sees some guys fighting at the docks for money. Because, Tommy used to work at the docks, very famous song about it, dockmen go out of work, and when they go out of work, what have they got to do? They've got to find other sources of income. So an, an illegal fight on the dock side is, is quite natural. When I used to work in steel, this is a fact, David knows this because he came to Liverpool with me once, and I quite often would go up to the docks to check that the itinerary and the, and, the, and the scheduling was all right and randomly see a fight. <laughs> this is natural. So the fights are organised by a gentleman called Joshua. Joshua just comes across as a bit of a bum, a bit of a homeless man. But he sees, Leon wins his fight and he sees him as a cash cow. So that's how their relationship 
becomes a bromance. And it does become a bromance because at the end of the film, oh, your heartstrings. When he's running up the hill, this film hasn't got a great soundtrack, but it's got epic music at the right point. It's the same tune. Every time there's an emotional moment in the movie, this song comes on, this melody comes on. Woo! I mean, it just sets the tone for... And it just, oh, I mean, I could have had this in our episode about films that make you cry. They're at the end, wow, what an ending. So I'm not going to save a lot of my information because I know I'm going to have to rebuck anything that these guys say. So I'm going to open the floor now for you to try and criticise this film, but I can't see what you're going to criticise. But go ahead. Uh, David, should I go first? Yeah, you go ahead, Jim. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I, I am in you know, complete agreement that, you know, that this is a film of a lot to recommend it, but unfortunately it uh, begins with, or it, it, its main plot begins with rather a, a ludicrous contrivance because Leon, in his effort to get to his brother, his stricken brother, um, ends up on the other side of the United States. He ends up in New York when he's trying to go to Los Angeles and he just so happens to stumble across a underground bare-knuckle fighting operation. If he doesn't do that, he gets stranded in New York and his brother's family are are just in, in the doghouse and on Skid Row and there's nothing he can do about it. So, like, yeah, there's um, too much good fortune for me. Um, yeah, he doesn't have a, a great deal of agency. And uh, continually throughout... Um, this movie the people doing the bare knuckle yeah people uh running the bare knuckle fighting operations um don't really do much to keep it secret i mean they they hold them in car parks you know underground car parks um in uh car parks of hotels in really really grimy swimming pools empty swimming um, pools yeah. it's, a, it's an abandoned it's, lie though it's an, it's it's an abandoned lie exactly. i'll have that yeah, yeah. and like and it, it's it, it's it's unfortunately so sloppily contrived. I mean, like you know, there's a midpoint um, bare knuckle fighting sequence where I just got distracted by the question of, okay, so this this ring is made up of a circle of you know presumably quite expensive cars that have been driven in by the spectators of this event, and uh, Leon and his opponent destroy almost all of these cars. I just got distracted by, so what are these people going to say on their insurance claims? Like yeah, you know, how are how how are they gonna explain this? So how are they really gonna thought, drive home? Yeah, you know, you've not really thought these through, okay? So those cars, um, quite clearly, were all running as well because they have their lights on. So if they didn't, if they weren't running, they'd all have flat batteries at the end of the fight, wouldn't they? If you just left the lights on in your car, yeah. So there's also the fume aspect of it, but I'm assuming they had a door open to. And he fights a Scotsman, doesn't he? In that in that yes, he does. Yeah, in he that fight so. scene. But if you're of the affluence that you're able to go and watch these fights, because this isn't open to the general public. These are super rich people. Who cares if your fucking Mercedes has got a dent in it? Where's the money coming from, Mark? The lady. She just funds, what, the fighters? Yeah, she funds the... I mean, I think to to be a member to go and watch her fighting ring, you have to have a membership. It is exclusive, so it's quite expensive. Okay. And And then she runs the betting ring with that dodgy bookie doesn't she? Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, I'm aware of it. I just think there, there must be a lot of money to be made. Again, it's, it's the UFC format. Let's just let's just put it to that. That pretty much is the, the UFC. Kimbo Slice did this for many a year and no one questioned it. But because he's black and he did it in someone's garden, oh, it, it's it's plausible. But when you add, when you add a, a rich woman who looks like she comes from Dynasty into the mould, you're telling me that it's not plausible anymore. The point I'm just making is there's a lot of money being bandied about here purses fighters purses just re uh repurchasing all these expensive vehicles fancy hotels it just the point i'm making like it's just lazy lazy writing in, in fairness in, in fairness you've reminded me of something and there was another thing that i was going to bring up uh, on the subject of money i've always been this is a personal bugbear of mine but i've always been annoyed anytime you see um like bookies in movies like they are you just see them just have a dozen people in front of them just throwing money and i've always wondered like there's no way that bookie knows who bet what on what 
Like, you know, when it comes time to settle up after these fights, how is he going to distribute this cash? He doesn't even and, give out slips. It's just like, he just takes the money. Yeah, and if you look very closely at the underground, so the first the first event that Leon turns up, the one that Joshua's running, I'm pretty sure he's got just a handful of ones. Now, that does... <laughs> but that he's does a big yeah, that does fit with the location. Like it's an underpass, so like yeah, like it doesn't seem like anyone's going to have you know, uh, a great deal of money. But like that, that just that ever since like that, it must have been about fifteen years ago when I rewatched uh, this movie. A wall, I will never call it Lionheart. Um, uh, I remember just being, I think that's a bunch of ones. You know, like sometimes when those movies that we grew up on the in the eighties and nineties, when you watched them on DVD and it was a digital remastered uh version, like you know you just notice things visually that you may not have noticed before. Like yeah, sort of some dodgy makeup, uh, you know, some dodgy special effects and things like that. Yeah, that was the first time I would have I would have noticed. I'm pretty sure that Joshua is, has a has a fistful of ones. And so that that's always um struck me as quite amusing. And um just to sort of detour into um uh, another charge i've always been a little bit annoyed by um the director sheldon lettage's uh, choice to cast brian thompson as cynthia's right hand man because i think you're a lot of people will recognize brian thompson he's, he's yeah, a regular heavy he's in cobra he's in a terminator he is a bad guy in rage and honor which is the cynthia Ruffrock um richard norton movie he had a recurring role in buffy the vampire slayer so the minute you see him and he's bursting out of his suit, you're thinking, okay, at some point him and Van Damme are going to fight, and they yeah, never do. They never do. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that one. But that's because they 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 make him a pussy throughout the whole film, don't they? But he would have been better as a tough guy, wouldn't he? Yeah, and I'm just wondering, like, I, I I'm sure that's deliberate choice on the part of the director to cast yeah uh, brian thompson just to keep the audience kind of wrong-footed a, a little bit but like, that always kind of bothered me because i to my knowledge i mean I, I i will admit that i kind of fell out of keeping up with jean-claude van damme's output after sudden death so for all i know brian thompson he could have had a fight scene sort of within the last 20 odd years yeah. but i always wanted to see that fight you know sometimes there's actors in these types of movies that you like it's like old boxing and WWF matchups. Like, oh, I would love to see them in an action scene together, and we never got that. With, as far as I know, we never got that with Van Damme no, and Brian Thompson. Um, Are we going to mention? I, I, in my, which, in my opinion, is an inappropriate relationship to have with your sister-in-law. It doesn't have an inappropriate relationship with his sister-in-law. It does. It does. I'm there's, pretty. There's... I'm pretty sure that just just going to quote in the film. Lady says to Joshua. Is he fucking her? And Joshua says, "Is his goddamn sister-in-law? She doesn't even know where the money's coming from." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've just corrected you there with a quote from the movie. So you're wrong with that instance. Uh, no, no, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that they're up to no good. I'm just saying it's inappropriate. It's, it's inappropriate to look after your sister-in-law after your brother dies. It's the way he talks to her and touches her, and it's. <laughs> And it's also relevant in Double Impact. I'm gonna be honest with you. It's the way that he talks. It's the way he talks and touches all women. (laughs) This is why I don't use the word respect when I'm talking about Jean Claude Van Damme. It's true. This is actually it's actually quite interesting. You bring this up. I think um, the the way that we can assume that Leon and um, what's 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 the woman's name? What's the ginger one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not Cynthia. That's the promoter lady. That's the promoter uh, lady. Her name is... It's Helen. 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 Yeah. Helen. So yeah. I think, like, I think we're, we're trained by movies to, like, think that there might be a romance sort of developing there. And I think a lot of that... Um, in this film has to do with the the actor playing helen like who she's you know for this standard of movie she's actually quite a good actor so she's bringing emotion to it that um sort of makes you think oh maybe something could develop there but i always like, i'm always quite curious uh with this of, of these three films like this is one where uh, van damme kind of cuts um uh, an almost asexual presence. I mean, there's a scene where he gets sexually harassed by Cynthia, the yes. lady. Yes, and, and that's the scene. That's when he sees his ass. It's the only time he sees his ass in the film. Yeah, but like he he's he's so obviously not into it. Um, yeah, which feels quite interesting because by all accounts, yeah, Van Damme was yeah, quite a playboy in his real life. Um, but yeah, he can cut like in the same way that Arnold Schwarzenegger could. He could cut um, like kind of an asexual. Uh, presence when when he wanted to now probably this is 
like because of his narrow acting range so like he doesn't emote with all the things that he he would uh, or an american actor would when he when when acting but uh, yeah i in this film i found that quite curious like yeah, he 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 doesn't i wouldn't go so far as to say he seems virginal but he there's there's a definitely an asexual quality to him in in that in that film in in, in this film can i ask you a question how did you feel emotionally when joshua tells him he put his half of the money on attila absolutely says, betrayed and he says wrong bet and then the music comes and the yeah. englishman's clapping <laughs> kick his ass <laughs> No, that, that that is heart lifting. That that does lift the heart because you 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 have like five seconds to feel absolutely betrayed by Joshua, and and then like yeah, the heroic stand up that 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 did get. Me. I remember the first time I watched it. That that did get me, and it's always one that yeah, that's a that's a all with a broken rib. Me. All with a broken rib. I love you know. All with a broken rib. Yes, yes, heroic, absolutely heroic. And, and Attila is Tom Poe's real life brother. Yeah. Oh, is oh, he Michael Kissy's brother in real life, is he? Yeah, so Attila, yeah, and Tong Po, the actors, the Kissy brothers, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. There you go. Because Michael Kissy is in this film. He's, yeah, he's he plays, one of the plays, agents, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah he plays yeah. Mustafa, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we skipped over it, but he was uh, Paradas in Bloodsport. He's the one that famously gets his shin broken by Chong Lee. Yeah, he yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, he is, yeah. Um, just uh, going back to Jackson, what? The, the the unnatural the ending. Jackson, you mean Joshua? So my apologies. Yeah, Joshua. Um, the unnatural sort of way that he's involved in the ending. That. Well, I've always know, thought they were lovers. If I'm well, being honest. Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I mean, according to you, he's fucking his sister. He's fucking Joshua. Yes, and I think he's, Joshua, he's just... <laughs> he'll give it to anyone who would take it. Yeah, and I think that. He, I think it's weird though. So. He says goodbye to his sister-in-law and his niece, and he's leaving the backstabbing vagrant there with them. <laughs> yeah, and then he's changed. He goes. He goes. Obviously, the niece is waiting at the door. Was only sent there by Joshua while he tries to give one to Helen. The, oh my god! I'm gonna be you. This is disgusting. This is men. This is this. Is, you watch the Dave Chappelle show. What okay, really I'm gonna, I'm, happens in the field? We know. Yeah, what I'm gonna be honest with you, David. Field. What do you think, Jack J- Joshua's you're, thinking? You're one of my best mates in the whole wide world. But if you ever took a moment and stopped and said to me, "You've got a big heart, Mark. Don't let anyone ever take that away from you." I'd let you do whatever you want. I'd have undevoted <laughs> trust. Well, in you, okay. Why do you think Denise is at the door? She's been... <laughs> now, why do you think it's late at night in the middle of a? It's not like a. Because she doesn't want to know what mummy's doing. Is that what you yes, just go and stand at the door, and then just thankfully Uncle Leon comes back to put a stop, and then Josh. Leon's running up the hill. It's a really odd ending. I don't get what, it. I think what the, the hell? Da, 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 da. <laughs> Your family are going to be all right now, Leon. Da, da. I have to da, be honest. You could play that music any time. I'm just going to get that like sound by any time I feel low. Someone's fucked me off at work, whatever. It's the slow-mo run as well. It is so good, honestly. Like, I actually cracked up laughing when, when I saw it the other day because I forgot it. It was so so bad. But I do I do actually love AWOL. I, I really do. I mean, it, I loved it as a kid and I, I really enjoyed it uh, when I watched it last week. So I'm for not some gonna, reason, I'm not unlike... Unlike Bloodsport and Kickboxer, it wasn't one of those that you visited as much as those two. Yeah, Kickbox, I mean, not... Kickboxer and Bloodsport I had on VHS and I, because I just enjoyed them all. But to be fair, though, AWOL was hard to find as a kid, I thought. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was just yeah. the accessibility in it. Yeah, anyway, I had it on I think... VHS because um, yeah, I, I, a cousin of mine had taped it off Sky Movies for me one time, so like, I kept it. Like, um, like I, I agree with David. It, it, thinking back to, you know, all the times I went to Mr. Videos, the old video shop in, in New Cross. Yeah, I 
I can picture like all the Van Damme movies that would regularly be stopped. And I can remember the video cover of AWOL, but yeah, I don't really remember renting that from that video shop that many times. Well, I I think I've made my case um, and I think I've put myself in a strong position. So I think it's time to move on to Jimmy. Okay. So now we go into 1991 and um, the poss- oh, doubtless the um, apex of Van Damme's collaboration with uh, writer-director Sheldon Lenich. Uh, one thing that none of us have um, really touched on I- in this conversation is that these are three Jean-Claude Van Damme starring vehicles, but they are also three movies uh co-written by Sheldon Lettich and uh, AWOL and Double Impact were both uh, directed by Sheldon Lettich so yeah this is as much a um, deep dive into his career as as it is um, Jean-Claude Van Damme's and so Double Impact uh, has a very very literal title it's called Double Impact because you know you get two Van Dams for the price of one and uh, an interesting bit of trivia as far as I know this is the only time that uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme has ever played an English character because um, in the beginning um, we see uh, Paul and Catherine Wagner who are two uh, British expats in Hong Kong and Paul uh, has financed a fictitious uh, Victoria Harbour Tunnel, uh, which connects uh, Hong Kong Island with the Kowloon side of Hong Kong. But uh, Paul and Catherine are double-crossed by uh, their nefarious English business partner and a triad head honcho, and they are shot dead. And uh, the two baby twins, their two baby twins, Chad and Alex, are separated. Um, A quite slapdash Chinese nanny runs away with Alex, not realizing that she hasn't picked up two babies and uh there paul and Catherine's american bodyguard uh takes chad to uh the us and uh we cut to 25 years later both of chad and alex are now 25 um and uh through an investigation uh the american bodyguard frankie has uh located alex and he wants to reunite the twins and also uh help them reclaim the fortune uh, that they should have from um from the the tunnel that connects one part of hong kong to the other because their dad uh, their dad financed it so it is their um it, it is their it is their birthright and uh this sets the stage for you know occasional comedy hijinks but also a lot of action hijinks because uh chad and alex fall into bickering very very quickly but they um put their differences aside to take on their real enemies which is which is the gangsters and i you know uh, I have always really liked this movie because I mean, there's, there's, um, it, it is, it is the one time that you know Jean Claude Van Damme has had uh, on stream chemistry with with one of his co stars. Quite frankly, uh, granted, you know he has chemistry with himself, but um, you know it, it is still something that is is lacking in um, the the majority of Jean Claude Van Damme's output. And there's a, just a just a real charm uh, to this movie. There is a charm in the the split screen. It's always a delight when you see you know Chad and Alex in the same shot and they're clearly looking at different things. But yeah, they, <laughs> they but they they carry it through. Like you know the eye lines you know don't always match, and there's always a softness to the middle of the screen where you know the the two uh, uh, film frames have been sliced to get uh, spliced together. But yeah, it is um, it is just just uh, charming and um van damme yeah he he really does he really does give this film his all i mean he's playing two very very distinct characters you know one is a vain californian pt the other is a a psychopathic a psychopathic gangster and um and and this uh, this film probably more than any other film um really does understand what makes uh you know jean-claude jean-claude van damme appealing and you, you come to a jean-claude van damme movie to watch him you know you, you basically just go to watch him put his his physicality on display and he does that um he does that in two in, in two very very distinct characters who you know grew up on opposite sides of the world uh and grew up with french accents uh, and have the exact same fighting style, even though we only know we know only know for sure that one of them trained in karate. Um, but yeah, they they both have the same level of flexibility. And um, yeah, I mean, you get you get two Van Dams for the price of one in this movie. You get uh, excellent uh, Hong Kong. You, know, you get excellent Hong Kong cinematography. Uh, there's no frills in and out in an hour and forty minutes. And I wait to see what my esteemed colleagues uh, want to pick apart. David, do you want to go first or second on this? 
I think we. I don't think we. I think we should just. Uh, I'll start. Um, be honest with you. Uh, I felt that clearly this film has got a bigger budget. I'm guessing than a lot of maybe than all of his previous films. And to me, I felt that just took apart from from what we love about a Jean Claude Van Damme film. Um, I think there was too much guns. Um, obviously, I'm a gun aficionado. Um, so I was really peed off when 10 minutes into the film, the bodyguard, Frank, that does a, a perfect shot with a handgun from about 200 metres. And and then I, I sort of thought then, oh, no, this is this is going to be dark. This is going to be... Uh, not dark, so this is going to be that nonsensical. And I felt that there was just too too many too many over the top unrealistic things happening, and I think it's just because of the bigger budget. I felt it took away a little bit from what we love about him, you know, like with the guns. So you know, because there's so many shooting scenes throughout the film, he had to go above and beyond. So you had the upside down shoot, the Jurgen Klinsmann rolling around shoot, like a three sixty roll consistently, and I'm just thinking, come on, I, you know, I just want to see him kick a few people you know i felt it just was a little bit too much i did enjoy the storyline with regard to the twin and sank a little bit different but overall i just felt it was just a little bit same old it was you know it was a couple of hours long and um yeah a lot of it was just unnecessary if i can interject with just one uh, rebuttal i would uh, point out that you know the the two films that uh, you have uh, broken down uh, today are both formulaic martial arts tournaments Movies. I mean, this is clearly an attempt on the part of Van Damme and Sheldon Ledich to yeah, break out of the formula that they had been into for several years at that point. Yeah, you have to respect the, the effort in trying to do something different. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, I, and I feel like Ledich and Van Damme have said, we're not going to do what we're normally going to do. We're going to make a soft porno. <laughs> and that's what they've effectively done. From the beginning of the film, everything is suggestive and sexually orientated, even when they kill his mum. Oh, 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 my babies. It's just ridiculous. Even the security agent who walks around in a cat suit with her legs out all the time. And when she fights Van Damme, not only does she try and do a, 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 a leg triangle. Oh, no, 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 no. He has to flip around so he gets a nun in his face. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it's true. The whole, even when you meet his brother's love interest, you don't see her face. It starts with her legs. The whole thing is just one. He, even poor Frank, when he's getting portrait, looks like he's just jizzed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. The whole thing, like you said, you, you, you where does where does um, Alex's French accent come from? Because the nun uh, was French that found him. Is that what uh, we're believing? They do live in that uh, incongruously French orphanage. Um, oh, they they take the time to show uh, predominantly Chinese children uh, singing Pharaoh Jacques. Pharaoh Shaka, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like Chaz, uh, Chaz, at one point, Frank says, and you weren't born in France. I just raised you there. You there. Oh, yeah, I know. I remember that. <laughs> my, my, my next question is, where, where did they buy these um, unlimited ammo handguns from? Because I remember a Beretta has eight shots. Frank seems to get maybe 22 out of one. Uh, that, that's movie magic, though, isn't it? I mean, oh, um... right. another question. When Bolo sees Frank on the other side of the car, why does Bolo decide just to shoot him in the shoulder and not kill him there and then? He's a henchman. He has to be a bad shot. <laughs> that's, that's the rule. I mean, everyone's also, a bad shot. Also. If you're fighting someone and there's something to pick up at a dockyard, a pole, a, a piece of lumber, you do not pick up the heavy barrel with the big red sign on it that says flammable. <laughs> That's just not common sense. I've never seen that in my life. The The story's rubbish. I, I actually don't like this movie legitimately. The only thing that I like about it is the movie magic is that you get two Van Dams. But even that to some point annoys me. I, I, I really like Alex's dialogue, though, and I can't stand Chad's. I like the take your sexy silk black underwear and go back to Disneyland, that, that kind of stuff. I like that. 
<laughs> Chance is my, a bit shit. Yeah, my favourite Alex line is when um, Danielle says, "Don't, he's your brother." And Alex says, "Why? Because he look like me." I'm going to change that <laughs> because I'm going to fuck up his face. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Um, how in a, inappropriate is his behaviour with his sister in law? He definitely don't have a sister in law, does he? I mean, forget the fact that she's already groped him, thinking he's the twin. We'll, we'll let him off with that because no one's oh. going to stop. No. Oh, oh yeah, big surprise. But at that point, he didn't even know he had, at that point, Yeah, that's the best line, isn't it? Yeah. But at that point, he doesn't even know he's got a brother, does he? Yeah, no, that's what I said. We let him off with that bit. Yeah, yeah. And then, Big obviously, they're all together, he, eating some frog. It always oh, reminds yeah. me... That bit always reminds me of Bloodsport, because as she puts his <laughs> hand down his trousers, he goes, keep going! That's exactly <laughs> what he says Jackson. Keep going! Yeah, unfortunately, we now know that Van Damme says that during sex, which... <laughs> this is also the first film where we um, we really, I think, start to see the sleazy side in Jean-Claude coming out, and I think it's more constant in this film's after. Yeah, and, and, and I think this film was the point where he's decided, I'm famous enough now just to do me, and that's why we end up with a soft porno. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I would actually argue, and this is, uh, I would actually argue that the, of all of the, of all the scenes in Van Damme's career where they've gone out of their way to objectify his body, this is the only one with psychological merit. And um, if you, because if you think of the, because the sex scene isn't actually a genuine sex scene; it's a sex scene that Alex is imagining, imagining. Chad. Yeah. Um, yeah, having with Danielle when when they're separate, uh, when, when uh, Chad has gone to rescue Danielle, it exists in Alex's head, and but that makes it really quite notable that the camera is lingering on Van Damme's body as much as Alana Shaw's, and because it's framed as something Alex is thinking about, you put it puts the audience in the uncomfortable position of imagine okay so alex is actually thinking about his brother's ass here i mean this is this is what well, alex... that doesn't make any sense either because well, if no, you're going to imagine your if you're going to imagine your missus sleeping with someone you just imagine her you don't go into if you go into that much detail i'd be disturbed but it does kind of make sense because if you look at there's, you there visualize it surely no, but there there is a phenomenon called gsa which is genetic sexual attraction it's this thing where People, close blood relatives who are separated in infancy, when they reunite as adults, the overwhelming emotions that they experience and the confusion convinces them that they are in love. And you, know, you could argue if you wanted to be provocative, which I clearly am wanting to be provocative at this moment, that actually why the camera is lingering on Chad's body in Alex's head is because Alex is troubled by his attraction to his brother. And I would argue that this is the Is that only... why he keeps calling him faggot? Is that why exactly. you reckon he keeps... Yes, you could read Maybe. that. He's, he's deflecting. He's yeah. he's you know because yeah, you know, Van Damme very clearly loves himself throughout the whole movie. He, you know, he's very aware of his appeal to certain sectors of his audience. So um, it is it is very very easy to make that leap. And he yeah, you, know, you could make the psychological argument that Alex is overwhelmed by his fascination with this specimen that looks exactly like him. And he's experiencing all of the a lot. He's experiencing a lifetime of connection and kinship in one moment, and it it, it just kind of it's interesting that you know you could read this scene as kind of straying into that taboo area of incest and and kind of homoeroticized incest as well, which is actually quite bold for a 1991 B movie aimed at a male audience, I, as evidenced I, by the silence that uh, greets it when I uh, <laughs> run through I, my very logical point. I think he just wanted a sex scene in there. And uh, <laughs> he just basically said, listen, asshole, get me a sex scene in this one. I've had enough. You you, 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 uh, you, you, think you hint at it, but you never actually do it. So hey, I, uh, asshole, at the start of the film, you give me a sexy woman in a leotard, and yet I've had no sex yet. <laughs> cut, no asshole, no cut. You know, I can imagine it. He's out of control now, like, no one enjoys a sex scene like Jean Claude. I mean, this film don't really show it. No, uh, it does do the little, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the groan. <laughs> through the through films moving forward, it gets more and more 
graphic, you know, like you can see is all his saliva on their breasts. It, he really I think the pinnacle is nowhere to run with is it Patricia Arquette? Rosanna well, Arquette. Oh Rosanna yeah. Arquette, is it? Yeah. That's but, the but anyway. Really I, um, yes. And sorry. my last my last um my last point uh, to talk up Double Impact is that Double Impact is probably the most knowing script that Sheldon Ledditch ever wrote for Van Damme because there is a single line in uh, Act 1 of this movie when Chad is administering his fitness class where Sheldon Ledditch basically sums up Jean-Claude Van Damme's entire career and appeal in one line when um, Chad says he's advising um, you know, the women in his class on how to safely do exercises and he says... Because of my big legs and karate, I can do the, I can splits, do the splits. No, no problem. problem. And that that is Jean-Claude Van Damme's in high, entire reason for being <laughs> summed up in a very few words. And so, yeah, this this is the best script that Jean-Claude ever wrote. There's just so much rubbish in it, though. Like <laughs> they stay, they stay in a random abandoned hotel that no one knows about, and then they suddenly find it with a helicopter. And then when they find it with a helicopter, suddenly the gangster has a whole fucking tactical team of military grade. <laughs> I love and not only that, in France, somehow, in between the karate and chess and learning how to teach exercise classes and then moving to LA, Jean-Claude Van Damme has not only learned, or Chad has not only learned how to handle an M16 machine gun, but also how to load and unload a freight container. <laughs> So and that you can squash also, a bloke. They're all fully qualified sailors. They all, <laughs> they all take uh, control of the boat, you know, and get it to the location. No problem. And no he, problem. He, op- he operates a forklift with no problem whatsoever as well, doesn't he? Back and at one point. Not only that, the dodgy pool no security agent catches that bird in the file room three fucking times. <laughs> At some point, you. When did she think to herself, "I'm gonna have to have a new approach here because well, no, she's caught, <laughs> she keeps just catching me." Fucking file, you know, like <laughs> just photocopy it. <laughs> maybe Fuck don't. Me. Uh, maybe don't call from your desk at the office that you've just been moving <laughs> around. <at. laughs> oh, good. I, I think it's as much as it, it was. You know, to be fair, all of them are so silly. All three of them, but God, they're so good. I can't. They're so bad. They're so good. That's what happens, isn't it? They're that bad that they're that good. Um, I've enjoyed this discussion. Sorry, Jim, go on. No, I was just going to say that uh, one of the reasons why I brought up that line about the splits is I think that uh, Van Damme, this is in the middle of a period where Van Damme from like 1988 to about 1996 was on a bit of a hot streak in, um, you know, sort of commercial viability for B-movies. And I think one of the reasons why he had a hot streak that lasted as long as it did was that he knew exactly you know, what his appeal was. He knew exactly what his audience wanted. And he gave it to them more or less every single time. And Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think he... Um... Well, I think there was an audience for that. I think this is one of these things that we expect more of an action movie now. We expect more of our movies and escapism is something we still do enjoy from the movies, but we expect a a certain level of either fantasy or realism, but not what comes in between. And that's what this is. And a lot of the stuff that he'd done would not be socially acceptable on any TV or or, or screen. Um, And obviously he had his troubles personally, um, and, and I've always thought that was due to the fact that he became this person on the screen and he tried to become that person off the screen. Um, so it's, it's quite interesting. He's quite an interesting character in real life because he comes like across as an absolute fucking loon. Like, but in the same way that Eric Cantona did as well, like... Um... I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the accent and, and the, some of the flowery language and, and stuff when he goes off on his aphorisms. But you know, when, if he was American, I I don't think he would have the charm that he does. I think I think, um, but the fact that he's European, he's got a bit of a cosmopolitan kind of metrosexual um, sort of air about him, and that kind of offsets the unreconstructed male aspects of his character. I trust you, Jim. <laughs> Watch JCVD if you have, if you've never seen JCVD. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good. I liked it. I very enjoyed it. Um, but I've enjoyed this chat. And what I haven't, I wasn't able to get the vote up on the Stallone one, but I did post a video and some details on the movies. I'll do the same thing again. And we'd love to know 
what the listeners' thoughts are on those films, which one they think is best. So we can actually kind of maybe start creating a league table on these shows to see who keeps picking the best film. What do you reckon? Oh, yeah, yeah, for that. yeah, you two just better hope there's no relegation uh, point because I fully expect to um, yeah, be winning. I, I, I fully expect to be the uh, Glasgow Rangers of this, uh, of this operation, winning every single year from now on. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for doing that show. As always, you can keep in touch with us on everything we're doing via our social media. Let me give you the Instagram. The Instagram is Bloke Watch Movies. David, what is that Twitter handle? It's Blokes Watch M O V One. And the Facebook, Jim? Uh, if you type in Blokes Watch Movies into the search bar, we will come up. Cool. So that's all our uh, social media platforms. We do want your feedback. We like to know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, how we can improve the show for your listening pleasure. So please do get in touch. We uh, we appreciate the criticism. Um, guys, um, I'll speak to you soon. We'll, we'll do another show shortly. Best of luck. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.